Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans, and each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles. And we've reached the end of another season. As ever, we like to end on one of the big ones, one of the originals, one of the films that actually feature all four Beatles being the Beatles. And so we are bowing out of season four with a two-part deep dive into 1970s Let It Be. It's only the film that Peter Jackson's eight-hour docuseries Get Back could have been. Released in May 1970 and officially unavailable in any home entertainment format since the 1980s, although there are plenty of bootleg copies available to watch online if you know where to look, this documentary film chronicles the famous Let It Be sessions, and in doing so captures the tragic deterioration of a band at breaking point, showing step by miserable step in painstakingly tense detail. Uh, or, or does it? I think that's probably the first thing for us to address, is the idea that Let It Be is all about the band being miserable deserved? Is that reputation valid? Yeah, it's a good question. It was, it was the first thing that occurred to me on watching this. So I, I've seen Let It Be, I think, once before, years and years ago. Uh, but it's the first time I'd seen it post Get Back. Uh, so with Get Back, we were told this is uh, this is sort of more telling the truth and it was more uh, rounded or a more positive experience than, uh, than everyone had remembered. And that Let It Be was a very miserable film. And I watched it and uh, I didn't think it was miserable at all. Uh, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. I think, uh, and also, you know, t- tellingly, what I found to be sort of the more intense moments that featured in Get Back, some of those didn't feature in this at all. 
who don't have George Harrison walking out, which is the key one for yeah. me. Um, it's interesting that I was ex- I was waiting for that to happen in yeah. this, uh, having not seen Let It Be before, mm. and actually being quite surprised that they glossed over that. Yeah, that, um, that is basically dealt with. Well, it's not dealt with at all. But you, so you do see the well, I'll play anything you want me to play argument. Yeah. Uh, so that's quite well known, and I think maybe that that scene is probably responsible for an awful lot of the general perception that this is a portrait of a band breaking up. But you don't see what then, it's not the same day as it, it's the day after, I think, right, that George mm. leaves. Actually, the scene in Get Back, the story they're telling in Get Back is like what seems to precipitate this or what tips George over the edge is uh, in Twickenham Studios when John and Paul are singing two of us into the same microphone mm. and really goofing around and obviously having a really good time. That's right, yes. And that's cut with clips, with bits of like George watching them, or appears to be watching them, you know? Yeah, and feeling like he's being left out. Right, right, exactly. Whereas here you don't get that. You see John and Paul singing into the same microphone, you don't see George watching them, uh, and you don't see him leave the band. There's just, uh, there's a, a wipe don't see a lot of white I was going to say, I know you, I'm <laughs> glad you picked up on this because I picked up on this as well. I thought it's so funny how in Get Back, it is part of the narrative about how the Twickenham Studios environment, uh, they don't feel is particularly conducive to their, uh, them trying to write songs and mm. doesn't feel particularly comfortable to them and it's new. So there's this, this whole thing that gets addressed in that series where we see them come to the conclusion of moving to Apple Studios Partly, I think, also based on um, trying to appease George after he's walked out. Mm. And all of that context is covered with a single wipe (laughs) (laughs) in this film, which is like one of those sort of squared slide-out transitions that happens um, that you you would get like in in a TikTok reel now. Right, 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 yeah. That just focuses on the Apple... Um, sign outside the studio. Yeah, yeah. The early days with sort of Windows Movie Maker, you know, that's, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's one of your best. Or like if you're doing a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it's think, a good build. This will wow them. <laughs> 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 they're, 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 <laughs> they'll love this in the, in the ops team. Guarantee that's what Michael Lindsay Hogg was thinking when he included that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, a lot of that context is gone. It's worth uh, thinking about like how these sessions are talked about in the anthology. Um, so you get uh, it's a clip of Lennon saying, yeah, yeah, we're all being filmed and you couldn't make music at eight in the morning or whatever it was. And it was cold, you know, and no mm. one likes it. And George, you know, talks about the winter of discontent and things like that. And then I think it's Neil Aspinall who says, uh, and then they went to Savile Row, which was much nicer. And everyone, it was a lot cozier and everyone felt more at home. And more comfortable and they sort of got on and then Billy Preston joined and that really picked everyone up and yeah. like, so they kind of they give the impression that it was kind of smooth sailing from here on in mm. and the, the thing about Let It Be as a film is that actually it's really interesting watching it having forgotten it basically and then watching it after Get Back because it has no narrative at all really like, yeah and it's it's really interesting because you have to wonder what is the film trying to do Yeah, and I think that you know, the, the the Let It Be film, uh, as it became, was originally intended to be a behind-the-scenes documentary that was going to show the run-up to a concert film that ultimately never got made. Yeah. And the Let It Be film was was essentially 
Apple uh, as a business decided to reuse the footage that was captured there and release it as a film in order to recoup the expenses of of that whole project in the first place. Yeah. So what you'd expect is that given all of the footage that was captured as part of this, what what would make sense would be for this to be capturing the songwriting process. You know, the original concept for this was the band were going to start from scratch, write songs. Those songs were eventually going to be uh, practiced and rehearsed, played live and released as an album. Yeah. Uh, We don't get any of that in this film. What we get is, is a good hour of them playing anything but those, the actual final songs <laughs> yeah. and then the last 20 minutes of the final songs yeah you know, so it's an odd decision i think to to hold back the actual songs that get released almost like it's the big reveal mm. but you haven't even teased it throughout the rest of the film because you're it's, it's just a jumble of jam sessions yeah there's uh, and even the fact that they're playing on on a roof is a reveal in the way yes. in the way it's actually uh shot and staged in that it, it, it starts quite close on them playing and then kind of uh zooms out yeah. you know to to reveal where they are but yeah so i wonder it's, it's quite hard to sort of divorce yourself from the context of the whole thing because you know it so well because the fact that the beatles played on a rooftop you know their last gig was on a rooftop it's so much part of the iconography and, and and the myth kind of thing, you know. Mm. And so it's quite hard to watch this in the context of trying to think of like someone who was watching it at the time in 1970. Because presumably the fact that the Beatles had played on the rooftop would have been in the papers and things. Mm-hmm. But basically no one had seen it, right? Yeah. It was, you know, a few people hanging around. Uh, Isn't that mad though? It's just like everyone's kind of vaguely aware that the Beatles played a gig. Yeah. And for whatever period of time between then and its release which would have been what just over a year yeah presumably everyone's like oh they probably just did that for a laugh yeah, yeah you know yeah. like and not being aware of the project at all up until yeah. that point what a weird sort of period of like apparently the beatles played live one last time but you know barely anybody saw it yeah yeah and it's, it's quite a nice idea that it was it, actually a kind of rumor you know and like mm. you know kind of unsubstantiated you know, just yeah, like, true. you know, that sort of kids telling each other in the playground, oh, oh, the Beatles played on the roof, you know, and, you know, my dad works in the Nintendo factory, you know. Yes. And, and, he was uh, the one who called the police. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like people had heard Get Back, the song, and Don't Let Me Down, because that was released as a single back in 1969. So, like, the, if you're going to watch this film in May 1970 when it comes out, you uh, have heard some of the songs on it, so maybe there is a part of you that's waiting to hear the song Get Back because mm. you'd be aware probably that that was a song they were playing around then. But like, so the, were you aware of this context? Certainly you are now aware that the Beatles have split up because McCartney announced it uh, mm. about a month prior to this film being released. So I suppose you're going along to this expecting not necessarily a sort of funeral march, but you're uh, you're kind of expecting... I don't know. Are you necessarily expecting to see them break up in this? Because is it widely known that that these sessions were the ones you know that were sort of fractious and they were arguing and stuff? Mm. Was it was that widely thought, or, or, or are you actually expecting to go along and see them just kind of having a good laugh and then they happen to split up over something unrelated because Yoko sat on an amp <laughs> six months later or whatever it was? You well, know. I think realistically, I think there's probably a wide audience there that probably have different expectations based on you know, how much uh, they are aware of the situation at the time. Yeah. I think 
I think the one thing that everyone would have been aware of is the fact that the band have recently officially broken up. Yeah. And I think what that does when you're watching that film for the first time is that where there are tense moments, those become really heightened. And it's really easy to single those out and isolate them as examples of demonstrating the band having a difficult time. Yeah. But actually on the whole, if you have a more balanced view of it, those moments are very few and far between. And actually on the whole, the the overall tone is more in keeping with what we understand get back to be when it came out which was supposed to be like a re-evaluation of that period mm. this film does that already that job like yeah. I, I, I don't i don't think that they're different sides of the same coin they're telling pretty much the same story yeah and th- this idea that let it be depicts the breakup of a band because uh, you see i i it occurred to me that maybe that's just something that we've uh only come to believe in hindsight Collectively, I mean, uh, with, with the help of the band who themselves, you know, in anthology notably and in other places, it, it always it talks about it as, uh, you know, it, this this kind of shows us breaking up, you know. Uh, but actually, like at the time, uh, reviewers, are, it, it is being received as a film about the, the breakup of the band. There's a Sunday Telegraph review, um, which says brilliantly, uh, watching an institution such as the Beatles in their film Let It Be is rather like watching the Albert Hall being dismantled into a block of National Coal Board offices, <laughs> <laughs> which is lovely. Um, but I think this sort of, it, it's like I suppose they say, well, this this sort of great British institution is crumbling, yeah. uh, which is a nice way for the Sunday Telegraph to talk about it. You know, <laughs> uh, it's sort of more, it's slightly more complimentary about the Beatles as a cultural force. So it's interesting that. Uh, a newspaper like that has by 1970 actually come to accept. Yeah, least, sure. Because uh, you, you can't write that sentence without acknowledging their cultural importance, you know, yes, which, which yeah, is kind right. of what it does in a sort of a slightly backhanded way. <laughs> but yeah, it does seem to be being received that way. So I wonder if it then maybe just gets a reputation as the Beatles breakup film. Oh, have you gone? To, have you seen the Beatles breakup film? Yeah. It, 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 maybe it's that. Um, and then it becomes just sort of self-perpetuating, self-fulfilling in a way. I, I think one of the things that hasn't helped that is the fact that it has been widely unavailable for such a long time. Yes. Because I think that you end up in this situation where in order to see it, you have to sort of seek out a, a hooky copy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. And so you're sort of seeing a side of the Beatles that was never supposed to be seen. So you're sort of like, you know, having to surreptitiously seek out this sort of forbidden view mm. uh, of the band, which I guess, you know, kind of lends itself to this idea that it's a, you're, you're seeing sort of behind the scenes moment that isn't an, a, a real official reflection of the band. Yeah. And, and you're watching it in quite poor quality as well. Yes. In yeah, quite, exactly. quite poor vis- visual quality that, you know, the, the copy that I found online years and years ago, it was very bad quality and that really lent it an air of not not mystique mystique's the wrong word it lent it an air of a decay almost i suppose mm, you know that's true and you kind of it naturally i've kind of thought of it as as this sort of this footage that has lain laid in vaults for years 
you know, and mm. and and no one wanted to go anywhere near it, you know, or, or almost like you know, in a, in a haunted house, like not wanting to to go and open the, the you know the the chest that contains secrets that have been locked away for years. At this point, I should probably point out that it won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything can win an Oscar. Come on. <laughs> But you're right. We think That's of it as like people. a. <laughs> we do think of it as like um, yeah. you know footage that was never supposed to be publicly seen. Mm. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it won an Oscar yeah. for best original score. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and a, a Grammy. Interestingly, uh, I just you know it's easy to find out online that uh, the Grammy was only credited to Paul. John and George, and not to Ringo, mm. even though Ringo is one of the credited songwriters. Yep. Uh, on the uh, on the film for Dig It. Yeah, yeah, and as part of what we're saying now as well about how this reputation of the film has evolved over time, it hasn't helped that the band themselves have quite publicly disowned the film. Yeah, um, uh, to the extent as well that obviously none of them showed up to the Oscars to uh, pick up their reward. It, it was um, uh, picked up by Quincy Jones instead. Yeah, which, which is funny. Uh, yeah, I wonder why Quincy Jones particularly, but. Um... Music, um, music yeah, brackets <laughs> general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wasn't it Quincy Jones who then he worked with Ringo a few years later and was in, uh, very critical of Ringo's drumming. Did, oh, I don't know. Did not really? rate Ring, Ringo at all. Yeah, he was quite. He was quite unfavorable about him in general. Uh, but yeah, we'll draw, we'll draw a line under that because yeah. <laughs> he's because he's wrong. But I, I like the idea that it's probably mentioned it and would have been referred to at the time that the Beatles haven't actually arrived to pick up their own Oscar. Mm. But also, can you imagine if they did? You know, having <laughs> just broken up very publicly in this film, yeah. and they're all like on stage, being like, "Yay!" You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Academy Award for this. That yeah. kind of like goes against the narrative somewhat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Quincy Jones would have been hopping mad, of course. You know, just, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, this is going to be my chance in the spotlight, and they're all, all four of them are here, <laughs> upstaging me, bastards. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, it's funny because you, you would imagine that Paul, in particular, you would think would be would be quite keen to go and. Go and go and collect his Oscar, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he. I, I mean, it's, it's, it reminds me of when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and mm. he didn't show up. But that was because he was suing them. <laughs> Isn't it? Like him, George, and Ringo. Is that oh, right? that's true. I, yeah. suppose, I suppose he was probably suing them when uh, during this Oscars ceremony. Not during the Oscars ceremony. That'd be weird. But um, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> but, you know, just at the back of the room, <laughs> just, just issuing lawsuits, <laughs> yeah, left, right, and centre. <laughs> hand delivering them right the right right week. served <laughs> <laughs> anyway yes no but, but yeah and so uh, paul uh, paul was then what was he later nominated for oscars for vanilla sky yeah and live and let die live and let die yeah that's right as as we've you know famously covered in our live and let die episode absolutely and uh do we have to do do we have to do a vanilla sky episode i really hope not <laughs> you really hope not yeah. well that tells you your answer then, doesn't it <laughs> yeah. let's not force ourselves no probably not I've actually never seen Vanilla Sky I've no idea why I said that it's, uh, it's, it's only okay right fine getting back to how the band themselves have helped to perpetuate this yeah. view of the film yeah. it's interesting I think that they collectively seem to remember this as being a bad period yeah. Um and and that the film is reflective of that. Yeah. Like right up until the release of Get Back where you know part of the story around the release of that project was that Paul McCartney didn't want to revisit Less It Be because it was too 
painful for him yes. to, to to view that footage again. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because it's you know you, you, the film doesn't feel that way at all. Yeah. Um, but they seem to have really focused in on it as reflecting that part of their breakup and where the relationships got really tense. And yeah. um, I know there's a quote from uh, John. Where he he was particularly unhappy about it. I think apparently a very early rough cut of the film was about three hours long. Right. That Michael Lindsay Hogg first sort of turned in. And in guessing it down to an hour and 20 minutes, apparently a lot of John and Yoko footage was cut. Right. And apparently I did read a, a source somewhere that that was uh, mostly due to Paul and George suggesting that that type of footage should be cut because they felt that it wasn't in keeping with the right story of the band. Yeah. Uh, but John took particular umbrage uh, at that decision. Um, and he later said that after seeing the release version, uh, he felt that the, the camera work was set up to show Paul and not to show anybody else. And that the people that cut it, cut it as Paul is God and we're just lying around. I mean, that that's, that's extreme and it's mm. slightly, uh, it's sort of typical of, of him at that time. But there are places in that film where, yeah. uh, where I kind of know what he means. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's a it's a whole other debate, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he he also described it as a, a film that was set up by Paul for Paul. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a really uh, some of this debate came out when Get Back uh, was released because you, know, you either, it feels like you either fell into one or one of two camps. One which is. Uh, actually you can see how Paul is a very dominating force in that room mm. and he's quite controlling and very specific uh, about how the band should be moving forward with the projects and with the songs yeah. and dictating to George what he should be playing uh, and not being very tactful about that but then the other side of the point is none of this stuff would get done without him yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and actually John's calling it a film that was set up by Paul for Paul you could see a situation where it's Paul's idea to do this so that they're doing something. Yeah. And then when they're together, Paul is the more dominant force in the room because he's the one who actually has the creativity and the energy in the room to be yeah. pushing ideas forward. He's providing most of the songs as yeah. well. Right. So actually, I don't know how you... Uh, you know, it's a film set up by Paul. I don't know how you make it about anybody else, really, in, yeah. that, in that room. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, he is bringing most of the creative input. Uh, John is kind of... Uh, Get Back shows this much more than uh, Let It Let It Be does. But yeah, but John is kind of taking a bit of a backseat. So which songs does John bring in? Don't Let Me Down, Dig yeah. a Pony, Across the Universe. Yeah. Yeah, rubbish. You know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, what's he playing? Now, obviously, like th those are fantastic songs. Yeah. But and, uh, and I suppose Dig It is kind of a jam mainly yes, led right. by him, right? Yeah. But, uh, it, other than that, Paul is bringing in everything. You know, it's it, it's quite remarkable to see. I think Paul didn't he write Let It Be and Long Long and Winding Road on the same day or something oh, that's, like that. That is crazy. Which is I mad feel like, true. I know? feel like we've um in the get back sessions, you see a lot more of the creative process that goes into long and winding road yes um a little bit more of like how it uh, i think i think he even says it in that that he was writing it the night before or early that week or something yeah. and he's developing it there on screen yeah, um, yeah and you actually see some of that um happen which is which is just great so it's not like uh and obviously also the famous uh example is actually get back which you see him 
you know, everyone describes it as him literally plucking it out of thin air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not even that he's turning up in that room with these songs. He's actually turning up in the room and then being creative enough to write and develop songs in the moment. Yeah, he, he's he's dragging the whole thing along. Like, yeah. picks it up by the scruff of the neck and is getting stuff done, you know. You can see how that'd be quite frustrating to work with. Not frustrating necessarily, but, but the, the thing is, is that I think there was always, they, they've said versions of this many times. It's just like the sort of unwritten rule was whoever's song it was, whoever's the sort of main writer of it, they kind of led in the studio as to how the thing was going to go. They were the sort of main arranger or, or, you know, and they were telling everyone else this, you know, this, this is kind of the way, the way we want to do it. And it doesn't mean that it, it was only their ideas got into it and the others were just session men. But th- that was kind of how it always worked. And if Paul has sort of written most of these songs, then obviously that's the way it's going to go. Cause that's the way, you know, he, yeah, he's yeah. going to be the one guiding them through it. So yeah, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem, I, I think let it be, despite not particularly having a narrative, uh, one sort of subplot that it is kind of developing a bit is, is the idea that Paul is bossy or controlling that kind of thing. But so, because there, there are the, the odd things where, it will cut a little what look like reaction shots after he says something. Mm. There is a specific point I noticed when they are playing across the universe or starting to play, and it's obviously a song that they are developing at the time. And John kind of does the guitar intro, and Paul kind of sings a little harmony before John starts singing. Because of the footage that we had just seen before, a, a lot of which was like Paul uh, appearing to be quite domineering. Mm. There was a bit of me that thought, oh, give it a rest, mate. It's yeah. like, like <laughs> know, let, yeah. let him start singing before you start taking the song over. Yeah. And like, I'm sure that is, you know, it, it, that was just an instinct that I had because of the way the film had presented yes. that to me. Because also, you know, I, I, if, if anything, from Let It Be and from Get Back, you do get the impression that the way these songs uh, were developed was just them ad-libbing all the time until they settled on stuff that they liked. So yeah, yeah, it yeah. feels perfectly in keeping with that being the kind of thing that he would do and John not to be bothered by it. Yeah. But you're right, it's because of some of the framing earlier in the film. that The other thing that really got me, and, it's, and Paul is guilty of it certainly, probably more than the others, but they all are, is when someone is talking, to, one of the band members is talking to another band member and that band member is just noodling on their guitar yeah, yeah, and it's like could you just give it a rest mate like you know you know like yeah, yeah, it gave me real like guy of an acoustic guitar at a party vibe you know it's like can you just <laughs> put the guitar down no one wants to hear it now we're trying to have a conversation yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there's quite and often quite what's happening there is you can see that their their focus is split between the conversation and what they're noodling and yeah. it, so it means that they're kind of like half looking off in the distance a little yeah, bit yeah, and like yeah. Paul is very guilty of, of just doing some sort of twiddly stuff on his bass <laughs> yes. while, while John's talking about something yeah 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 actually because um, there's a there's a mirror of that in the sort of famous argument scene because George is sort of tuning his guitar mm. while that's going on but he's not it, I think he is kind of using that subconsciously as a way to sort of deflect the awkwardness of it all. Sure. It's like, you yeah. know, I wasn't particularly shy of confrontation, but uh, he, you sort of get the impression that he is 
it's like, oh, I, I'm kind of focusing on tuning my guitar, you know, so like we're not having an absolute stand-up row about this. Because yes. mainly what I'm doing is tuning my guitar and, and we're also talking what I'm doing, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. Where, you know, there's just a, another focus that kind of draws attention away from the, the, the conflict that's actually happening. There's an argument that we don't need to go over, you know, obvious or well-trodden ground here, but that argument scene, for, for all the allowances I will give Paul, when he does say to George, listen, I'm trying to help you. Mm. It's like, they're so patronizing. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And there's just no, there's no defending that. I don't think, I think, yeah, yeah. and it, you know, you can tell that it's him coming, trying to come from a good place. But hearing him say that is like, like how, how do you not hear how terrible that sounds to someone? Yeah. Actually, the interesting thing is that in the audio that you get in this film, it doesn't actually come out that well. And even, when it was included in anthology, I don't remember noticing this, but in Get Back, I did notice, probably just because the audio was uh, uh, had been polished up um, and was m- much more easy to hear. But the thing that actually sets George off is when Paul says, you know, it's not like Hey Jude, where you want it, and it, whatever he says, but he's, yeah. you know, like you, where like you wanted to do the call and response, yeah. the answer, guitar lines. And, and, cause, and when he mentions that, that really touches a nerve. And that's yeah, when sure. George says, well, I'll play whatever you want me to play. You know, that's the point at which that, you know, that it tips him over the edge. You know, no, it's like it's it's complicated now. So, see if we can get it simpler, and then complicate it when it needs complications. But it's complicated it's so in the bit. Complicated, but, but no, but you, I mean, you know, I mean, I'll play just the chords if you like. And no, no, come on, you're always going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm trying to help you know, but I always hear myself mm. like, annoying you. And I'm trying to, no, you know, I, I get so, annoying. but you know what I mean? I know, but you know. Because it'll take even longer, okay, you know, look, if I'm you're... not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say that. You, you know, you, you're doing it again as though I'm trying to say that. And what we said the other day, you know, I'm not trying to get you. Well, really, I'm trying to just say, look, lads, the band, you know, should we try it like this, you know? I know it's if this one it's like should we play guitar through a June? Well I don't think we should. Yeah, okay, well I don't mind, I'll I'll play, you know, whatever you want me to play. Well I won't play at all if you don't want me to play. No, whatever it is that would please you, I'll do it. While we're covering moments in the film that uh sort of lend itself to a negative depiction of the band, uh there's another one as well which I did notice in the film and I, I found a uh, a quote from Michael Lindsay Hogg uh, about it as well. It's the moment where Paul is talking to John about George's reluctance to sort of um, expand or uh, do stuff that's just outside of the recording studio. And in my mind, he sounds like he's high. You know, when you're sort of rambling a bit and you're really sort of hammering on the same point and stuff like that. Because, you know, whenever we talk about it, we have certain rules like George saying, what do you want to do? And he says, no films. You know, but it's wrong that it's very wrong that because you don't know. He says what he means is no help, hard days, nothing. You know, and I agree. You know, but like no films because this is a film, and he now doesn't mind this. You know, but it's like it's that kind of thing. Like no TV show, no audience. But I mean, see, it's like when when we came back from Hamburg and did Lester de Montfort Hall, or wherever it was, Coventry. You know, we played the ballroom and we had the worst first night thing and we were all nervous and it was terrible. Then we played another the next night. It was got a little bit better. <coughs> next night, and then the next night, it was just fucking 
too much about playing to me because we got over the hang of the audience. It was just like there was no one there, but it was a, no, a new sort of thing, and there was some fella in the front watching how you're playing. You know, and you just and you, we were just right into it. And those will have been, if you could have recorded those things, you know, they will have been the greatest because it is. It's like Mel saying, it's that bounce thing, you know. And we're good at that, you know. Once we get over the nervousness, but it's like there's the hurdle of that nervousness is there now. Michael Lizzie Hogg said that he. Uh, had kept in the scene, which was the back of Paul's head as he's yammering on, yeah. and John looks like he's about to die from boredom. Yeah, which yeah. is exactly what's happening in that scene because John is not saying anything at all. It's very uncharacteristic of John, and yeah, Paul is literally so. just going on at him. Yeah, that reminds me of what's that clip where like uh, George Harrison is in the control room with George Martin, and it's not from Let It Be. I don't think it's from something mm. else. It's it's from when he's talking about like uh, oh, oh you know and oh and there shouldn't be any boundaries between music you know like you know classical pop jet you know and George Martin said yep yep <laughs> yeah good point or you know and yeah, you can yeah. see he's kind of humouring him and probably George <laughs> Harrison is a bit is a bit stoned yeah but it's you know it's a, it's yeah yeah it's like it's funny to think of like there are points where like the Beatles are just kind of humouring each other yes, just like yeah. oh right he's going like you would do a family member or something, right you know, right right like, it's like oh god he's on he's on about but, he's on about spiritual regeneration again <laughs> <laughs> but also what's really telling about that is that uh, it is Paul specifically complaining to John about George yeah which I think is illustrative of the kind of thing that was was really getting to George at that time he felt like you know he was being left out or the two of them were, were sort of you know, getting closer and leaving him stranded. The counter argument to that, uh, again, though, is that there are moments in Get Back that could have been included in this film that aren't. And yeah. one of the other things that springs to mind is when when Paul is talking about having found the footage from their trip to India. Mm. And this film doesn't uh, extend the rest of that conversation out where George is kind of picking him up on saying, you know, that's the biggest joke of all that you didn't feel like you were true to yourselves because that was the whole point we were there. And, you know, and that's quite a tense moment in get back that you can see they're sort of like, they've touched a nerve because obviously this is George's passion. Yeah. But that's been left on the cutting room floor here. So it it could have been, if the intention was to, to really sort of drill down into tensions in the band, that doesn't come across here because there's lots of footage that could have been used to tell tell that story and and hasn't been. Yeah, certainly the, the, yeah, the extension of that conversation was wasn't it George talking to Ringo about about John and Paul like slightly afterwards or like he doesn't confront them completely head on. Oh, what in Get Back? Yeah. Oh no, I think he does. Uh, uh, but it's it, so in my memory, it was more that he 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 sort of chided them a bit about it, but yeah. then later on he talks to Ringo and says about like. It, you, know, you know these these those two thought you know sort of some big joke or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but I, I think uh, you're right about him chiding them. That's exactly the word to use. That's exactly okay. what he does. But also, I I kind of vaguely remember that when George does that, Paul kind of sort of focuses on playing a bit of bass on his guitar, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like you would do if you're a school child, like just you know, not wanting to um to get involved or you know, I've really said thing thing I've said. I'm not really interested in being told off for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also the context for that, which we don't see in Let It Be, is that George ha- has just returned to the band having left before. Yeah, So they're, they're supposed to be, they're not sort of like on, on eggshells around him. One of the things about Get Back, actually, is that it, they don't really seem, when George comes back, 
to be like you know making sure that to make sure he's okay and like he's comfortable and he yeah, has what he true. wants and stuff you know they, they do they are still a bit dismissive of him in, in places you know yeah no, certainly I, you know what my um, while we're on that subject as well that particular conversation one of my favorite things about that is Paul says I remember when we were in India and he says to John you went up in the helicopter mm. with Maharishi and you thought he was going to like give you the answer uh, to it all answer, yeah, yeah. Um, which tells me that Paul has been telling that anecdote since 1969. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice though, isn't it? Um, because it's like in anthology, he recounts that very fondly because he laughs and says, oh, it's very John. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's nice actually that at the time, like he is recounting it to John saying, oh, that thing you said, you know, that's very funny. That's very, yeah. Like, but there's a consistency to that through line. Of like uh, that, he he found it funny for those reasons, and he still remembers it as being funny for the same reason. Yes, yeah, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So yeah, the film has absolutely no context uh, whatsoever for what's going on. Um, you know, so like we're, we're not given. Uh, there's not a card at the start that says the Beatles are rehearsing for a thing or yeah. whatever. You know, there's no voiceover. You know, you don't get Malcolm McDowell saying the Beatles are rehearsing for a thing. You know, it's um, it, it just, things just start happening. Right. You also actually, on the whole, get actual very little dialogue. Or conversation, yeah, true. I, 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 you know, it feels a little bit like seventy or eighty percent music, yeah, to conversation, which is crazy for a film that's uh, that, like you say, has no narrative or no context. Because essentially, what it means is you are just watching a band play some songs for yeah. the majority of the hour. Yeah, they're not actors anymore, are they? You know, you, you can so you know their previous films, Hard Day's Night, Help. Magical Mystery Tour, mm. um, Yellow Submarine. So uh, to, to one extent or another, they are acting in those, performing, if you like, um, or, or, or sort of being more than musicians. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, 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 there seems to be a feeling abroad that we are not mugging for the camera anymore, you know. And actually, like, if if we're going to do another film, then... The easiest way to do that is just just film us playing instruments. You know? Yeah, I guess it goes back to the original idea behind Let It Be Sessions, which was them deliberately wanting to move towards going back to their roots. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I mean, even the way it, even the way the film starts, I mean, that's quite stark in a way. You know, <laughs> so so you do get um, 
Uh, so you get Mal kind of like carrying the uh, the bass drum and then, you know, sort of Kevin Harrington helping with the setup on some things. And then you move over to Paul and Ringo, who are just kind of sitting at a piano playing like, and Paul is playing like quite a somber song. It's almost kind of funereal. Yeah. And like they're sort of both wearing black and, you know, almost as if they're pallbearers, you know. Um, you can't imagine as well, like, because... Because I thought that, because watching this film for the first time and obviously being aware of its reputation, I was like, oh, this film really does set out its stall early on. This is a sad film. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, it's a very melancholic tune that Paul is playing at the start of this movie and that really yeah. sets the tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what happens is, uh, you know, you, you get more footage of the band uh, over the course of the next five to ten minutes as they're playing more songs. You can really see them warm up and you, and, warming up as musicians but also just through smiling more and yeah. and and just like seeming to enjoy each other's company more yeah. which which i think makes makes sense but also from an editing point of view there's a deliberate decision there to start with the sort of the cold open of silence followed by a sad tune rather yeah. than you know, think of like the dazzling stars of Magical Mystery Tour or something like that, you know, like why not go straight into them rocking out? It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog Help, I need somebody Help, not just anybody Help, you know I need someone Like there, there's a there's a conscious choice that's been made there, which which I don't think does the film any favors in terms of how people think of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sort of uh, yeah, it sort of it struck me that Paul and Ringo are kind of sitting there mournfully, you know, all dressed yeah. in black and just sort of you know like they're the pallbearers for the sixties, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it it does see it almost there's a sense of something being ushered out, you know. Mm. Like one of the things, you know, that there's always been. A lovely completeness to the idea that the Beatles more or less very, very nearly performed absolutely all of their recorded music in the 60s, other than Paul, George and Ringo getting together to record I, Me, Mine properly because they needed it for the film, which they did on, I'm going to say, 3rd of January 1970. Uh, Other than that, they did absolutely everything they did in the 60s. There's always a nice completeness to that, you know. Mm. And yeah, there is a sense with this is just, that thing is being uh, it, like given its last rights here. Yes. You know? <laughs> at the start of a film. <laughs> the start of a <laughs> you film. Know, like, it's, yeah. uh, you know, to, to begin a film <laughs> that then, by the way, ends very triumphantly. Yeah, yeah, With the true. rooftop. You know, right, like, right, right, you, yeah. you know, like when, you, when you've got that in your back pocket when you're editing the film together, yeah. like you, you know that you're going to have people walking out of the cinema 
happy and joyous. We've just watched the Beatles play their yeah. gig. Like yeah, that's that's a that's a great way to end a film. Yeah, but it's a very stark contrast of how it, how it starts. Yeah, but and also, so it, again, people going to see this film know the Beatles have split up. So you know that that may be tempered slightly. Mm. You know, so there's a sort of bittersweet element to it, I suppose. So out of context, it works pretty well like, as long as you already know the events that happen. So you know, as we said, cinema goers at the time might not have known all those events necessarily. They kind of, it kind of knew where it was going. Um, but what what it doesn't do, what it doesn't work as, is a sort of document of what the Beatles were doing in that period. But because of that absence of narrative, you'd really have to know all the stuff in advance in order for the thing to make sense or to be anything other than a collection of songs being half rehearsed and then being performed in their sort of finalised state at the end. And one thing that occurs to me is that maybe the the vacuum that creates the the gap that's left by that absence of narrative it just it led people over the years to kind of fill in those gaps themselves and think about it as something that it wasn't i.e. The, 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 this depicts the breakup of a band mm. when when it when it doesn't really it, i mean it's, it maybe it's only in retrospect that it kind of we we know it to depict the breakup of a band or we came to think of it to depict the breakup of a band you know mm. um, and that you know and that's that's sort of one, one of the interesting things about the get back project is that so with let it be i, I think there were a couple of it was sort of mooted to re- release it on blu-ray or whatever for an anniversary that's or something right, yeah. like that and kind of would always get quietly yeah, and I think somebody said, like, I think while while Paul and Ringo are alive, it's probably not going to come out. And Paul, I think, was on record quite uncharacteristically, actually, as saying, uh, "I don't, I don't come off very well in it." You yes, know? like I don't, you know, it, it doesn't doesn't make me look very well, good. I saw you know? a quote saying that he was actually all he's always been all for the film being released, oh, yeah. and he says, "But if there uh, if there was any holdback from anyone, that should be me because I don't come off well in it at all." That's it. Yeah, but I. I don't know how much I trust that comment from him because that also flies in the face of this story around Get Back about how he didn't want to revisit the film and yeah. he was reticent to let Peter Jackson uh, start the whole project. So there's, yeah. there's a little bit of conflicting yeah. opinions and views, I think, around how they wanted to treat Let It Be, you know, uh, since it was released and around Get Back. Yeah. I, I, actually, like one thing we have seen recently with the release of Now and Then is how Apple are very, very good at sort of crafting a story around a release, mm. you know. And so while, by the way, I don't mean to say that these stories are insincere, but they are very good at, at, sort of, at crafting a little narrative of, uh, you know. So around Get Back, it was like, I'd always thought this was really miserable. And then Peter Jackson had a look at it and yes. he rung me up and said, um, you know what, actually, I think this is, uh, you guys seem to be having quite a good time in this, you know. So again, when you you go back to the anthology, when they're all talking about it, and all of them are talking about the Let It Be sessions in general being a, a sort of miserable time. So they all seem to have come away with the impression, and they sort of got there over the years, that this was a bad time that none of them enjoyed. And also bear in mind that the four of them were never again all in the same room from late 1969. I don't think they were ever again all in the same room. So they haven't seen each other a lot, but what they have done is read and heard each other doing interviews about the breakup of the Beatles quite a lot throughout the 70s. Mm. And so 
all of those interviews are sort of reinforcing for them like oh yeah the let it be sessions were horrible weren't they you know yeah and that that kind of it's not necessarily a, a, a false memory it's more a sort of failure of collective memory or, uh, or more akin to you know the, the the mandela effect you know where where sort of people come to believe something collectively despite the fact that it isn't true uh, and it kind of t- you know it's almost like a sort of uh, a, a folk memory or, <laughs> yeah. or, or something like that you know uh, so th- th- they they all came to the conclusion that this was this was a horrible time and then you look at the footage in get back in particular and you think oh no they're having a good time but moreover you look at the footage in let it be and they generally seem to be having a pretty good time another way of looking at that though is that it might not be necessarily a, a failure of collective memory as you put it but also that there is a very real uh, and genuine association they have with that time and feelings that they have that aren't visible on screen yeah so you're right like you know you can look at that footage from both let it be and get back and and think well you know these these guys are getting on great but actually if that underlying resentment or tension and uh, those moments that do feel like they're starting to get on each other's nerves a bit more actually have a longer lasting effect on them it's difficult to get around that it's not you know I, I, it might be it might be the case that um paul is you know would look at them jamming and having a great time in the studio but still thinking i remember that period and i remember that it happened just after george left yeah. and that was a really horrible time and yeah you know all that kind of stuff so i mean they, it's, it, there's a good reason to suggest they aren't misremembering that period at the time, but I think the film doesn't suffer for it because, yeah. again, without any hidden context, you can watch the film and be like, "This band are great, and they seem to get on fine, fine yeah. for the most part." Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's difficult for us to put ourselves in that position because actually, the thing that the world got out of it is this music, you know. So you can listen to "Get Back" the song. Uh, as you should every day of your life because uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and it, it, but it may be that Ringo listens to that song and remembers George walking out or it, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. You know, he might have a very specific uh, memory of like Paul like being a bit too specific with him about how he wanted him to play the drums on it, which kind of niggled him or, or whatever. And that might be his main mental association with that song or something like that, you know. Yeah, it's quite, exactly. it's quite possible, you know, because the, these people spent so much time with each other and, and so many tiny little microaggressions, yeah. hit, you know, here and there, egos flying around all over the place, you know. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it may be as simple as that, you know, that that's your kind of key takeaway from the whole thing, you know. I've heard it like actors, stage actors say a lot, that if you're working on the stage production of something, you spend so much time in rehearsal that actually that is the job, really. It's the rehearsal. It's the getting everything ready. And not that the actual performance when you get there is insignificant, but what that is really is just the... Uh, that's the culmination of the work, and then you repeat it on stage. Yeah, of m- course. More or less. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so I think, uh, like an actor I talked to once said, that the, when I have a memory of a a play I worked on that they're all from the rehearsal they're all, they're all from little interactions or you know friends you make on the rehearsal or like jokes you told to each other during rehearsal and stuff like that you know that that's the thing I remember you know whereas like if I'd gone to see that play all I would remember is the actual play right you know but, yeah, it, yeah, but be, being in it is a is a very different experience from 
I mean, it sounds obvious. <laughs> it's a, quite a long roundabout way of saying being in something is quite different to uh, watching something. So what but, you're saying is we're not Ringo Starr. Yes, I hate to break it to you, but, we're, <laughs> but we, we are not Ringo Starr. And on the subject of repetition and of uh, cycles of activity, that's probably a good point for us to end part one of our discussion of 1970s Let It Be. Look out next week for part two of discussion where we will be continuing to talk through all of the elements of the film. But hopefully you have enjoyed listening to this first part uh, on the film. If you have, we'd love it if you could leave us a five star rating or a review on your podcast listening platform of choice. And also feel free to get in touch with us about your thoughts on the film and what we discussed so far. You can reach us on all the usual social media platforms. We are at Beatles Films Pod. Otherwise, next week we'll be back and hopefully it won't bother you too much, Ed, if we do that. I'm I'm here, I'm just trying to help you. I can hear myself annoying you by discussing this film. If you're able to come back as well, then we will see you next week for the next episode. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Or I won't say anything at all if you don't want me to. Just say bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.